Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here again at Oasis, and it has been a blessing to be here. And uh, we have heard some very good things already. Loving others as ourselves, and uh, indeed that is a challenge. This morning we would like to speak about the qualifications of an elder, and indeed this is a, a serious thing, and we are praying for the congregation here this week, especially as you choose out from among yourselves a leader. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for blessing us with this day. Thank you for this time of worship together. I pray with your people. I just pray that you would um, now give us uh, wisdom and strength here in this hour to share your word. And Lord, that we could all have open hearts together to receive it. And Father, I pray specifically for my brothers and sisters here at Oasis uh, as they choose an elder, uh, one to serve the congregation, one to uh, stoop down and and work. Father, I just pray that uh, you would grant them wisdom, grant them faith, And Lord, I pray that uh, what is done would be honoring and pleasing to you. Bless us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Of course, this subject is um, something that I've thought a lot about the past year or so, only having been ordained myself in April, and... You know, in some senses, as we look at qualifications, it seems like the qualifications are so high that they aren't, that it's, it's uh, unrealistic to be met. Um, and while there may be some uh, truth to that, <clears throat> if we just simply take the words as they are, at the same time, I believe uh, Paul and those that shared qualifications of leaders, I think they meant it to be taken realistically. And indeed, I believe there are those that are that qualify. And and two, God qualifies the called. Um, so, indeed, we are needy people, but. With God's help, all things are possible. Qualifications of an elder. Before we um, look specifically at qualifications, I would like to just briefly look at who an elder is uh, so we can better understand and appreciate the qualifications. Now, I realize that Brother Earl has been sharing some here about the office of an elder and, <clears throat> and some of those things. And uh, I was not here for that, uh, so I may overlap on some things, but uh, I trust that's okay. Um, we will share what we have. But if we understand what the calling of an elder is just a bit, gives us an appreciation for, the, for those qualifications. And, and they begin to look more serious. Invite you to turn to Acts chapter 14. This is not a text, but it is where I would like to start. Acts chapter 14. (coughs) I would like to read three verses, starting in verse 21. It says, and when they had preached the gospel, this is Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. I'll just uh, mention a few things here that I forgot. First first missionary journey, and they are traveling up. Uh, They had sailed through 
the Mediterranean Sea there, and they had um, come ashore just on the southern border of what we know as modern-day Turkey, and they had traveled up, visiting several towns that we're going to read about here, up and kind of made a hook shape through Turkey, and it would have appeared like they would have been set to travel on home by land. I don't know. But instead of doing that, they turned around and came right back through. So they had been at all these places that are mentioned. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And so what I want to point out here is uh, simply the fact that um, elders were put in place in local congregations, made responsible for local bodies of believers, these churches. Also, we see that Paul and Barnabas had been to these places. The church was established, and then they went and they came back, which uh, gives a, a time, a period of time, <clears throat> where, where gifts and, and leadership qualities become manifest. Now, it doesn't tell us how they chose these men, but um, obviously... Um, <clears throat> After a period of time, those gifts were evident. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 16. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them. And so he's speaking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. And let's drop down to verse 20. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I, knowing this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. <clears throat> therefore, watch. And remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Okay, a couple things to notice here. <clears throat> First of all, and you can answer me from this passage, who made them bishops? These ordained men, who made them bishops according to this passage? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. And so, we must remember that it is God that appoints church leadership, regardless of the methods we use. And when we vote, we must be looking to God for wisdom, so the Holy Ghost can speak through us as a brotherhood. And the Holy Ghost can't speak through us when we prioritize our selfish personal interests. And that's the driving motivations of our, of our actions. <clears throat> but rather we need to be seeking God and seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit. Who are they to oversee? The Holy Ghost made them bishops. Who are they to oversee? Specific word we're looking for here in Acts 20, 28 to 31. 
the flock. Thank you. And I simply want to point out here the metaphor, the sheep metaphor that is used. And this is a metaphor, an extremely strong metaphor in Scripture, uh, in the New Testament, of that of an overseer, an elder, or a bishop uh, taking charge of the flock of sheep. The bishop is to feed the church of God. Why is this so important? And it says here, because Christ purchased it with his own blood. And so indeed, elders are put in charge of a high, a high priced item. Or that seems earthy to say it that way. As shepherds, they are to be watching for wolves, those that would not have the best interest of the flock in mind. <clears throat> Turn to First Peter chapter 2. You'll notice that the words elder and bishop are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And uh, so I use them interchangeably here as well. First <clears throat> Peter chapter 2, verse 25 says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Who is this shepherd and bishop of our souls? Somebody have an answer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Once again, we see this sheep metaphor. Shepherd. Now turn ahead to chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Peter exhorts the elders to feed the flock again. And notice in verse 4, when the chief shepherd shall appear, that shepherd and bishop of our souls, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And so I trust that it is clear in your minds this morning that elders and bishops are chosen by God to be shepherds, to be shepherds of his sheep, of his sheep, especially in the context of local congregations. But Christ is the chief shepherd, and he is the ultimate example of what a shepherd is and should be. And so let's look at the example of the chief shepherd. Let's turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we have Jesus speaking here, verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one, there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus, speaking of himself as the shepherd and bishop of our souls, the chief shepherd. And so, obviously, there are things here that can only apply to Jesus Christ himself. But, for elders... There are some things in looking to the chief shepherd that are an example to us. And as we think about ordaining elders, ordaining an elder, an an, an elder, we, we can look. We can look at some of the things in this passage and look for those character qualities Someone that is living Christ-like. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And so a question we might ask is, how is someone, as we look at our brotherhood, Who are those that are laying down their lives for the brotherhood? Christ did it physically and faced, but he also did it in many other ways. Just laying aside his life, his, his, um, the many pleasures he could have enjoyed on this earth and served others. Laying down our lives. What shepherd qualities might we see in a brother that would be God's choice for an office of an elder? Do we see ways that the brother we have in mind is surrendering his life? To his brothers and sisters. And putting himself under. Rather than above. Christ. Is the ultimate example. Of servant leadership. And I'm sure. That it is the desire of each one of our. Us here that. The one chosen. Would be a shepherd. And not a hireling. 
not one that looks out over his own interest over the flock that he has called to to look after okay let's uh talk more about qualifications <clears throat> you can turn to acts chapter 6 Acts chapter 6, we have the ordaining of seven deacons, and I know this morning we're talking about ordaining an elder, but there are some things here, specifically in verse 3, Acts chapter 6, verse 3, that I believe uh, could be said as qualifications for all ordained leadership, church leadership. Acts chapter 6, verse 3 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And the business is the work of a deacon, but full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom, these are things, honest report, these are things that as we will see as we look at more qualifications, apply to all ordained leadership. So the first thing I want to notice in this, four things I would like to pull out. Number one, from among you. From among you. Look out ye out among you seven men. And there's two things that I see indicated by that. I see that this is an ordinary person. This is a person that is simply a part of the body. Like the rest of us. The other thing I see is that even though while this person is just an ordinary person, this is an imper- a person that is engaged in church life. He's from among. He is a part. He is participating. And so as we think about calling one forward to be an elder, are they, have they been a, a, a indispensable part of brotherhood? Have they been connected? Have they been um, working alongside. <clears throat> the second thing I want to look at from this verse is honest report. And we're going to see this come up again and again and again. The idea of reputation. A, need, a good reputation. An elder needs a good track record. Number three, full of the Holy Ghost. What, is, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Ghost? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, of course, we have the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. When we see those evidences, there is you can know that somebody is full of the Holy Ghost. The fourth thing, of course, is full of wisdom. And you know, as we go through the Scripture, you can see there's two types of wisdom. Godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And obviously here, we're speaking about godly wisdom. Someone that is full of Godly wisdom. Let's look at James chapter 3. Well, you don't have to turn there. I'll just, I'll just read it. James chapter 3, um, verse 17 and 18, speaks of godly wisdom. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
Godly wisdom is seen when somebody is a peacemaker. When somebody's easy to be entreated, easy to talk to, easy to approach. And so, I start here with this verse just to kind of give us this overarching look at what the qualifications are. Those four things. From among you, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom. And you know, I think we could go on to preach just simply out of this verse and have a pretty good rounded out message on what it means or on the qualifications of eldership. But we will go to the texts in Titus and Timothy. Let's turn now to Titus chapter 1 and go through the qualifications as Paul gives them. And I think we will find that they fit right in with what we already shared. Titus chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 4. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. But a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, not st- no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, Sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake." You may want to put a marker or keep your finger in there. And let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, a very similar list of qualifications for that of an elder. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. This is a true saying. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so, we just read two passages by the Apostle Paul, both very similar. Each of them have a few different characteristics. Some use a different word, but it's actually the same Greek word, a different phrase. Uh, And so I'll try and combine some of those this morning. But I would just like to simply go through the list and talk a little bit about each one. There's quite a few of them, so we won't be able to spend a lot of time on each one. But we will take the list as it is given in Timothy, First Timothy, and then 
finish out with a few uh, from Titus. <clears throat> the first one is blameless. Blameless. That means that one cannot be called to account. He's unrepro- unreprovable. Unaccused. Not arrested. Now, this doesn't mean that there are no accusations. You know, if it meant that there is no accusation towards a person, indeed, then I don't know that anyone would qualify because I'm sure that uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, we ordain a brother. I'm sure that that person, there would be those that would bring accusation against that person. But do those accusations stick? Is there substance? Are the accusations that indeed do stain his character? Those are things to be considered. Now it's important that, and, and this goes back to what we read in Acts of being of a good report. It's a good that an elder has a good track record, a good reputation. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he committed that horrible act of seeing to it that Uriah was killed in battle, God sent Nathan the prophet to David and confronted him. And one of the things that Nathan said And I'll read it from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. He says, Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. When church leaders are, are guilty of sin, and they do not make it right, they cause, they give occasion for the ungodly to blaspheme. And so, once again, it is a serious thing that elders are blameless. Blameless. Just at church? Somebody who behaves well in Sunday clothes? No, someone that's consistent throughout all life. And that, that, this is a really great challenge for me. You know, as I think about work and business relationship during the week, I think of home life and I think of church life. And I wonder, hmm, how many fronts do I have? We want to look for somebody who's Consistent. The second one given here is the husband of one wife. These are blameless is first in both both lists from Timothy and Titus, and the husband of one wife is second in both. After that, it kind of goes back and forth. So I think we should really pay close attention to those two. Blameless and the husband of one wife. Now we say, big deal. We don't uh, believe in polygamy. We, um, <clears throat> you know, does this mean that if a husband's wife passed away and he married again that he's disqualified? You know, what are we getting at here? No, that's not at all what it's talking about. You know, if you look at the Greek word here, you could literally take it to say, I don't know if there's any translations that would say it something like this, but you could take it to say, man of one woman. He's faithful, faithful to his wife. Purity, moral purity. Of course, these are things that are easy to hide. 
But what do we see in the countenance is this person pure? Is he committed to his wife and faithful to her? Is his eyes always towards her and not towards others? The next one that's given in Timothy is vigilant. And in Titus, we have in that list towards the end, we have the word temperate. And if you look up the meanings, they have very similar meanings. Having power over one's appetite. One that's keenly aware of his own tendency to sin. Vigilant. Watching over his own soul. Realizing that should he be distracted, he would slip. We are all prone to sin and we all need to be vigilant. One who will call to be an elder must be vigilant and watching over his own soul. If he cannot watch over his own, how will he watch out for others? And we will see this by how the word of God is made practical in his life. Is there practical application to biblical truths? Or is it just simply the way we've always done it? And that is what defines a person. Sober. Moving on, sober, self-controlled. You know, church leaders often find themselves in extremely stressful situations. And an elder needs to be able to control his responses. Because there's going to be accusations. He's going to be treated unfairly. Hopefully not by you. But he's going to be. He's going to be mistreated. And there will be times that he's accused rightfully. Sometimes accused rightly, sometimes falsely. And he's ne- he will need to have the strength to respond with grace. Respond in meekness and always with the good of others in mind in all situations. <clears throat> this is so difficult. This is so difficult. When we are treated unfairly. But that's what we want to look for. Someone who has the ability to stay glued, if you would, when those stresses and pressures come. Um, I recently heard just a little story. Uh, I don't I don't know who this was or what church. I assume it was a conservative Mennonite church. Uh, I, I'm sure it was. A young minister was ordained, and in this church, I guess uh, they would sit segregated like we do, and Sunday evenings they would sit together. And I'm not sure if it was something that was a controversial issue or I'm not sure. But apparently not everybody sat together as families Sunday evening. Maybe there were some of the older ones that would still sit segregated. I'm not sure. But whatever the case was, this young man was ordained. And shortly after he was ordained, after a Sunday night service, he got a phone call. And somebody said, the person on the other end, brother, said, I don't understand. You're ordained and now you're, you're different. You just don't, you're just not the same. I mean, what's, what's going on? You know, maybe there's some pride here or something. You don't even sit together with your wife anymore. You know, before you were ordained, you sat, Sunday nights you sat with your family. Now you're sitting separate. He 
the conversation ended, and I don't know that he said much. And then it went a little while, and he got another phone call. Another brother said, I just want to bless you so much. You know, you've been ordained, and you've just, you've just been the same. Nothing has changed. You even sit together with your family Sunday night. The truth was that this young pastor had a difficult child he was dealing with. And I know some people say that you sit together as families, it's easier to take care of your children. That's not true. Get them away from mom. All right? I say that as a challenge. Okay? It goes better. If dad's going to work with this child, he's going to have to He's going to have to make some clear, distinct lines. And this young man was doing that on a Sunday night and was not sitting with his family, thus the accusation. You know, those are the kinds of things that have happened to an elder. It seems humorous, but it's real. And I'm sure if this person had become unglued, so to speak, and kind of fallen apart at that first accusation, why things could have turned sour very quickly. I trust it turned out well, even though I do not know the situation. Sober, self-controlled. The next one is of good behavior. And the Greek word for uh, that's given there, it's one Greek word for that phrase of good behavior, is kosmios. We have this, Paul using this word just a little bit earlier in for. Earlier in First Timothy, in First Timothy two nine, it says, "In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel." The word "modest" there is the same Greek word of good behavior. Someone who has a modest character, who's not trying to be above, be different. Be greater than others. Be noticed. But rather someone who's pleasant to be around. Somebody you would enjoy having fellowship with. Of good behavior. And there's many, many more things that could be said about that. Moving on. Given to or a lover of hospitality. I say a lover of because that's what is said in Titus. And in Timothy it says given to hospitality. Again, it's the same Greek word in both chapters. Hospitable, generous to guests. Someone who loves being generous to other people. And sometimes... We need to be hospitable and generous towards people that aren't the most enjoyable to be with. They're not the type that are of good behavior like we just mentioned. The elder needs to be able to be hospitable and generous to those as well. And be able to love. Apt to teach. Skillful in teaching. Someone who's able to communicate. And I I don't know. I, I really am not sure that this necessarily means that he's a good public speaker. I don't know. Maybe it does. And indeed where we have that it's appreciated. But... Someone who is a teacher, who can communicate, who can teach others. But do you know what the greatest qualification of a teacher is? Can you tell me, Eldon? Exactly. We'll pick on a teacher to see if he knows. Someone who can be taught. If you're not a student, you cannot teach. And so, look for someone 
who is teachable. Someone who's a student, a student of the word. Someone who can be taught by others. Moving on, not given to wine. Not drunken. Someone who does not see that as profitable, period. It's not an option. He's not going to go there. No striker. What does it mean to be a striker? Ready with a blow. A contentious person. Someone who's quick to get into a quarrel. An argument. Not greedy of filthy lucre. And in Titus it says, given to filthy lucre. But it's the same in the Greek in both passages. It simply means eager for base gain. Eager to make a dollar. Somebody that's uh, the most, one of the most encouraging things he can do is watch the account grow. You know, he just loves to make the numbers work. And I know we all have different personalities and some of us are more apt to just working with numbers and know how to make good business transactions and that's not all wrong. But what's, what's the heart attitude? Is that, is that what has the heart? <clears throat> and we could also link that with not covetous. Someone who simply does not love money. Patient. Not soon angry, Titus says. I would put those two together as the same. Mild, gentle, not prone to anger. Someone who's not overbearing. Very similar to the next one, not a brawler. Invincible, abstaining from fighting. And the concept is avoiding an argument. And as a, as a church leader, that can be extremely difficult. Because you, you need to approach situations. You have to, you, you can't just, you can't just leave when things get tough. Okay, that's how at least that's how I tend to deal with it. You know, when I face a difficult situation, be it at work or wherever, if it gets too rough and I see that this is only going to to an argument, a lot of times the easiest thing to do is just dismiss myself. Well, a church leader can't do that. He needs to be engaged and yet not be a brawler. And avoiding an argument at the same time. Abstaining from fighting. Having children in subjection. And in both passages, in, in, in Titus it says, Having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. Both passages, Paul elaborates just a bit on each one of those. Rather than just listing it, he In Timothy, he says, you know, if he doesn't know how to rule his house, how's he going to do in the church? And then in in Titus, not accused of riot or unruly. So look at the family. Does this man know how to teach his children. Look at the fan, look at the children, each one of them. Look at the countenance. Is there a clear countenance? Is there a transparency? Can you see? Do you see children that are living with guilty conscience? 
or children that have been raised being taught how to deal with those things. We must move on. Not a novice. <clears throat> newly planted. And we could take this as simply meaning a young convert, and I believe it does mean that. Someone who's new to the Christian faith. But also I would say one must have time in the church he is being ordained. Otherwise, how do you know he's blameless? How does he have that track record to be seen? <clears throat> and once again, having a good report, good reputation, that comes up again and again. Some of the things that uh, were mentioned in Titus that are not mentioned here in Timothy... Not self-willed, not arrogant. Elders need to be able to hear advice from others. <clears throat> and that comes right in there with that teachable spirit. Just and holy. We could spend the rest of the day talking about just and holy and at the end in Titus it says, Holding fast the faithful words as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. An elder needs to be grounded in biblical doctrine. So he can exhort gainsayers? Gainsayers are the people that are always contradicting. They just continually contradict, almost for the sake of contradicting. And like we said earlier, this man is to not be a brawler, somebody who avoids argument, and yet at the same time he is called to exhort and to convince the people that love making an argument. And the only way this is to be done is to be Christ-like. As Jesus did, without an argument, you know, that's exactly those Pharisees, hypocrites, and people that challenged Jesus on a daily basis during his ministry. Jesus exhorted them. He convinced some of them. And he did so without being a brawler. Without being a striker. He did so in patience. I would just like to close with <clears throat> reminding us of the verse in Acts chapter 6 that we read. Acts chapter 6 verse 3. Wherefore brethren, and I'll paraphrase, I'll, I'll Change the phrasing just a bit. Look out from among you a man that is honest, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom that you may appoint over this business. May God add his blessing. <clears throat>